What's up, Grace Church? My name is Sean Sears. I'm the uh, lead pastor here. I want to say thank you for being a part of our weekend, our weekend service. Uh, and I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful for the clear skies this weekend. This is, this is awesome. Uh, it's, yeah, so I'm looking forward to the rest of the weekend. Uh, I hope you are, are too. Uh, we're in uh, the fourth week of our series uh, that we're calling Scoreboard. Uh, briefly, the idea behind it is that we, we have a way of measuring everything that's important to us in our lives. Uh, you have a way of measuring whether or not you're being prepared for retirement. You have a way of measuring whether or not your kids are doing good at school. You have a way of measuring uh, whether or not uh, you're, you're almost done paying off your house. Like I'm, uh, You have a way of measuring whether or not you're meeting your goals at, at work. We, we keep track of everything that's important to us. And somehow when it comes to our spiritual development, uh, we, we don't often think of ways uh, to begin keeping track of, of how, of how we're of how we're doing. And the purpose behind this series isn't necessarily to uh, give you a score that then you can compare to anybody else because it's completely uh, subjective. You score yourself, and each week in this series, we give you a little handout that, that covers that marker of spiritual growth with, with, with three different things that you can look at that, that, that tangibly shows you uh, how you're doing. Then you have the opportunity to score that, and that what, whatever number you circle or, or however you feel that you're doing, you don't hand that in and we don't compare that to anybody else. This is just something that you can keep track of so that you know uh, the most glaring like, like holes in your spiritual development, what you need, what you need the most work on. The, the uh, uh, theme verse for this series comes from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. If there was one verse that I would encourage you uh, to memorize, uh, write out possibly, put it on the dashboard of, of your car or put it in your locker. Uh, at school, when you, when you go back to school, um, uh, d- just to remember uh, uh, this series, but not just this series by, but to remember that, that God's actually got an agenda for your life and you can either cooperate with us or not, it would be this verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. So if you've got your Bible, open it up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got your Bible app on your phone, uh, open up that app and then go down to read, click read, go up to the top, click it, it'll open up all the, verse, the books of the Bible, click on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, uh, which says this, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And each week leading up to this week, I've taken some time to to deconstruct that verse. We're not doing that again this week because we've already done that. Um, But the idea that that, that in in short summary is that God has an agenda for your life that ends uh, better than the life you would get on your own. That there is a preferred life that God specifically designed for you long ago, before you were ever born. God sat down. I don't even know that he sat. I guess God could have been standing up when he did it. But he planned out a life, right? And then like the, the assets you started, like your, your personality, your, your IQ, your, your physical aptitude, or, or your physical clumsiness, like whatever it is that makes you you, were specifically given to you by God because it was the perfect set of uh, tools that would get you to the specific life that he planned for you, right? Like th- that's the masterpiece. And in that way, you will uniquely um, um, be more like Jesus in the way that you you live your life. And, and how that will look uh, in your life may be a little bit different than mine, but there's going to be some things that are consistently true about all of our lives if we are cooperating with what God's trying to do in, in order to make us a masterpiece. And we know that not every 
everybody here at Grace Church is a Christian, and we're completely okay with that. And there are people who honestly might think that they're a Christian because they were born into a Christian family, or they were, you know, their parents dedicated them as, as a child, but you've never personally come to a place uh, where, where you've owned your faith. And, and, and our goal in this series is not to give you more boxes that you can check to feel good about where you stand in relationship with God. That's, that's not what this is about. But if you are going to be uh, one of my kids, if, if you're born to my wife and I, you live in our house, there are some things that are going to be consistently true about each one of our children. Now, each one of our children are going to end up completely different, but there are going to be some things about them that are completely the same because they were raised by my wife and I. Does that make sense? So you will each look, right, and, and live a little bit differently. But if you are in the household of faith, if God has adopted you into his family, there are things about you that should generally be true. And so we've come up with nine different markers, right? Like, and it's, it's, it's a not, like when I, when I look at all of the things in Scripture that describe somebody who's becoming more like Jesus, they, they can all fall under one of these nine. We've divided them into, into three different categories. So uh, uh, you, you, you may have have seen uh, these words in our branding or on our website, but we've, we brought, we, we've categorized these, these nine different markers or attributes of somebody who's becoming more like Jesus under three different, different broad categories. The first one is, is that we want to teach you to live your life as an expression of, of love. Uh, for God and, and for others. And we want to teach you to, we believe that script, this is what the scripture is trying to do, to teach you to leverage your life in service to God and others. So that, that second category is, is, is serve. And then we think that there are things that you can do that prepare you to grow right, as a follower of Jesus in your relationship with, with God and others. So we've bro broken these up into three different categories. We want to help you, like, like love, live, live your life as an expression of love. We want you to leverage your life in service to God and others, and we want you to prepare yourself to grow as, as a devoted, devoted follower of Jesus. So under this love category, we just finished up with those, those first three in this series where we said that you need to live intentionally uh, around those who are disconnected from faith that you you need to uh, uh, you need to live in relationship with other followers of Jesus and and that the, the tangible expression of where our heart is and the priority God has in our life we talked about this last week is your gen, your generosity this week we move from that that love category over into the service category so we said last three weeks here's how we think you ought to be living your life as an expression of love uh, this week we start this new three week this three week space right here where we're talking about leveraging our lives uh, to, in service to God and others. And the marker that we're talking about this weekend is is being being involved. Um, and and there's a, there's a mind shift that happens when somebody becomes a devoted follower of Jesus, and that they begin looking at their lives, their relationships, their family, their assets, resources, and opportunities through a different lens. That lens is talked about in one of the first chapters of the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Christian New Testament are four different narratives of the life of Jesus. Uh, it, all four of them may end with Jesus calling his disciples together. At the beginning now, he had said, uh, the closer you get to me, the more focused you'll be on those who are still far from me. And then at the very end, he says, now go out and give them opportunities to know and to follow me also. The book of Acts is the story of how they actually did that, of how they grew in their relationship with God and other followers of Jesus, 
and lived their lives in such a way that those who were farthest from God were beginning to find and follow him. And, and they did such a good job that it was said within, within 30 years in, in Rome by Caesar that these followers of Christos had turned the entire world up, upside down. So, I mean, like, they, they, they did it right. And they obviously did it differently because I don't know that Christianity in our country is, is viewed as in, in such a way. I, I think that, that our faith in this country uh, is, is a little bit, if I can use this word, imp- weak. It's, it's impotent. It's, it's because truthfully, there's not very much of a difference between the way Christians live their lives and everybody else, right? So that's, that's why this stuff is important. We're, we view our lives like everybody else, so we live our lives like everybody else. And if you do what everybody else does, you'll get what everybody else gets. And, and truthfully, uh, that, that's average. And I, I don't think, I, I'm 100% confident every one of you can be average. Just do what everybody else is doing and you'll have an average marriage. I don't, I don't want that. You'll have an average relationship with your kids. You'll have, you'll have average peace and an average purpose. And I, and I, I, think, I think God honestly wants, wants, wants more for you uh, than that. Acts chapter 4 is where we're at. Uh, Acts, Acts 4, uh, here's the verse. All, all the believers were united in, in heart and mind, uh, which, which I, I love that, that all of those in that, that first century church, and, and by the way, uh, the church that Jesus started uh, grew to 120 uh, when he left them. And then 50 days later was another Jewish uh, festival celebration where Peter preaches the very first sermon after Jesus had, had gone back uh, to God, the, the Father. And, and in that one day, the church grows from 120 uh, to over 3,000. It was a gigantic church. It was, it was, it was a huge church. Uh, but somehow, they, they still were all on the same page. They, 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 they leveraged their lives together. There was nobody who was just playing church. There was, there was nobody who was just kind of like trying on faith. These people had, they'd gone all in. They had like, 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 Everything, like I'm, I'm 100% uh, available to God. And this chapter is explaining a part of what that looked like, uh, particularly their mindset uh, t- toward themselves. And that's where we're going next. So they, they were all united in this, and they felt, verse 32, and they felt that what they owned was, what are the next three words? Not their own. Everybody together? Everybody say it. Ready? What was those next three words? They, they viewed all of their stuff as what? Not their, not their own. Like, and, and truthfully, uh, this is echoed by the Apostle Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where he says, what? Don't you know that you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which, which are his. So what did God offer in payment for the debt we owed to bring us to himself? It was the life of who? Jesus. We were bought. Like, like God gave up his son to get us, right? And so then, and, and, and in doing that, he got Jesus back, and then Jesus calls us to do the same thing. He calls us to lay down our lives, and he says, everybody who does, I promise, you'll get more in return. 
Like, like those who lay down their lives will find it, but those who try to hang on to their lives, he says, will, will ultimately lose it. So the same thing that God did in laying down his life for us, he calls, and then getting it better in return, God, Jesus calls us to the exact same thing. I'm calling you to leverage your life, to lay down your life, and then trust that the life you get in return is greater than the life you would have ever had, had you not laid your, laid your life down. So they viewed not only their, their lives as, as, as not their own, but all of their possessions, all of their relationships, everything about them was no longer about them. What I know as a devoted follower of Jesus, and if you're a follower of Jesus, what is going to begin happening in your own heart is you're going to recognize that the goal of your life, this is going to come like from the inside, not because somebody else is forcing this on you, but if God's Holy Spirit is already in your heart, at work in your life, he's going to be the one who's going to start making these shifts on on his own. I'm telling you this is coming if, if you ain't already been feeling this, but you'll recognize that my life is meant for more than just me, right? Like even my, and, and my life is meant for more than even, even just my family. And I would even say that my family's life is meant for more than, than just our family. There's something bigger in the world that God is trying to do. And I think, I believe, the Bible says that there's a part, small part, but there is a part I can play in what God's trying to do in the world. There is a part that my family can play in what God's trying to do in the world. I talk to my kids about this all the time. Every single night when we go to bed at night, or you know, we all go to bed at different times, but, and I've talked about this before, but I get to pray with my kids before they go to bed because that was something I started back when they were little babies, and so now it's, it's, it's not weird for us to, to do this anymore, but my prayer is that they would learn to hear God's Spirit in their heart and that they would follow Jesus with whatever he said. Like, like my kids know, right, that there's, there's one person that loves you more than daddy, right? <laughs> mommy. Okay, there's somebody who loves you more than mommy too right? And that, that's God. Like, Jesus loves you more than us. And like, all the stuff that I want for you, like, bail on all of that if you feel God's calling you to something else. My, my son's wife is a first-generation American. Her parents immigrated to our country, uh, saved up their money so that they could, they could get here, uh, and, then, and, then, and then raised their, their daughter here and, uh, so that she would have a, a, a better life. And, and that was measured when they first came over uh, in the accumulation of wealth. But now that she's become a devoted follower of Jesus, she wants to go back into the third-world country. To, to, for, for, she has a degree in education so that she can actually like like help them and like the idea that 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 somebody would sacrifice to get here to get everything and then would voluntarily leave everything to go back to nothing like doesn't fit well with people's paradigm the way that they they view the purpose of life but if you're a devoted follower of Jesus i, I think the worst thing you could get is to the end of your life with nothing but a pile of paper to show for it, right? Because when I enter eternity, we all know that we're not taking any of our money with us. But I want to take every single one of my friends with me. You know what I'm saying? My life is meant for more than just making money. My life was meant to make a difference, right? 
But that's not going to happen if I keep chasing what everybody else is chasing. If I keep looking at my life as my own, my family as my own, my possessions as my own, at some point, I'm going to have to flip that switch where I recognize that my life is either a tool or an idol. It's something I worship or it's something I leverage. Are you with me? Your money is a tool or an idol. It's something you worship, place too much value on, or it's something you'll use for what you know is more important. Your opportunities, your education, your career, all of these things are either tools or idols. And those who are becoming, those who are followers of Jesus, who are being made into this masterpiece, start changing the way they view themselves. Because if I, if I look at my stuff as a tool then I won't mind using it that way. If I look at my stuff as an idol, then I want to protect it. You see what I'm saying? And I'm going to walk away from the opportunities to, to use it because I, I placed an inappropriate pri priority on it. So if I'm growing in my involvement, and this weekend we're talking about the way that we leverage our lives in service to other followers of Jesus, there should be three things that we can say about ourselves. Now, we're going to be able to say this about ourselves in various degrees of, of truthfulness, right? So, if, 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 if in these areas you, you, you score low, and you're going to score yourself, and you're going to not hand that to anybody, this, this is just to help you measure where you're at as a devoted follower of Jesus, then you know that this is something that, that you need to work on, and you'll probably need to work on it in one of these three ways. So if you're growing uh, as a devoted follower of Jesus, you're becoming this masterpiece, you're, you're viewing yourself differently, you should be able to say that you, uh, on a regular basis, serve your church family. Uh, those, those roles in service here at Grace Church, we, we call those ministry teams. But one of the things that you should be able to say about yourself is that you actively serve on, on, a, on a ministry team. And, and I would say that this weekend's teaching is probably uh, primarily uh, going to be most significant, hopefully, to those who are marginal Christians, those who have just kind of stepped into this, or, or maybe it's, it's been a while since you've been a person of faith, but, but honestly, you don't feel like you've, you've grown much. Church for you uh, is, is just a weekend service at this point. And, and, and I know that a lot of people who are new to Grace Church, um, you, you carry, you spiritually are wounded right? You're, you're, you're bleeding, and you're not in a position to help anybody else because right now you're so broken. Um, so I, I, I'm, I'm familiar, you may be familiar with the term church hurt. Uh, are you familiar with that term? Uh, if you're not, the idea is that you come from an unhealthy religious background. And, and for, if, if that is your story, then maybe Grace Church is just a place for you to be served for a little bit. Uh, and maybe you've been there for a while, but honestly, uh, now it's time uh, for you to stop being pulled along, and, and maybe it's time for you to get out and help pull, right? Uh, this is a, a biblical theme. Uh, obviously, hopefully everything we talk about here at Grace Church on any given weekend uh, comes from Scripture. If it doesn't, then you're free to ignore what I'm saying if it doesn't come from Scripture. Uh, but like we said last weekend, every week you need to ask, is what he's saying in the Bible? And if it is, then the question is, am I going to be obedient to God? 
Am I going to trust God enough uh, to obey God? So the first passage of Scripture, and because we talk about this one all the time, this is going to be the one of the three that we spend the least amount of time on. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14 is where I'm reading. And uh, Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12 are very similar, written by the same guy, actually, the Apostle Paul. Uh, one he wrote to a church in Greece, and the other, the other letter he wrote to a church in Italy. Right? So they're written to two different people in two different countries, uh, but he covered some of the same thing, themes, uh, but, but not, not very much because each church had different issues. Uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, he says the human body, and he compares a church family uh, to a human body. And he says the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We get this. Uh, we have one church family. Right? Now, we meet in different locations. We're like brothers and sisters to each, to each other. And, and then each expression of the church, whether it's in Braintree, uh, Avon, or Bridgewater, is made up of many different parts. Uh, you, you sitting here right now listening to what I'm saying are either a part of this church family or you're not. Maybe you're an invited guest. You're a friend of us, of our church. We're, we're glad uh, you guys are here. Or, or you consider yourself to be a part of our church family. If, if you consider, like, this is my church home. Like, I'm on board spiritually with where, where this is going. The, Paul's describing you, uh, me, and, and then us together. And, and so what he says is us together are like a human body. So my human body has, has many parts, right? But how many bodies do I have? I've got, I've got, <laughs> I've got 11. That's what I've got. I've got 11 bodies. Uh, schizophrenic, too. Uh, so many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Verse 13. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Uh, some of us are white. Some of us are black. Some of us are brown, right? Some of us, uh, our native language is English. Some of us, it's a second language. For some of you, it's a third, fourth, or fifth language, and you're the smartest people here, right? Uh, some of us are, are Somalian. Some of us are Ghanaian. Some of us are, are Puerto Rican. Uh, but most of us are Brazilian, I think, here at Grace Church, right? Uh, or, or whatever, like, right? Like it, 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 Haitian and, and, and I don't know, Irish, German. We, we Jewish people here at Grace Church too. So like, and that's the point he's trying to make. Like none of that, none of that matters. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm an elbow and, and I'm an ankle. Like completely different parts of the, but still part of the same body, right? Look completely different, have completely different functions, but still a part of uh, how many bodies? One, right? So it doesn't matter. Some of us have theology degrees. Some of us don't have theology degrees. But he says that if you've turned from sin and begin following Jesus, another passage of scripture, the same spirit at work in you is the same Holy Spirit at work in the rest of us. So like if God's at work in your life and God's at work in my life, then the more we follow the voice of God in our heart, the more closely we're going to be aligned to each other regardless of what our background is or what we look like or our experiences or our personalities. Like the more we follow God's Holy Spirit and become more and more like Jesus, the more some of our values are going to start to be the exact same. And that's why I said that they, they were together in unity on this. Because it didn't matter what their backgrounds were. They had more in common because of their faith in Jesus than they didn't have in common because of their heritage, because of their skill set, because of their personalities. That's all Paul's saying. Back at it. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some of us are free. But we have all been baptized uh, into one body, by one spirit, and we all share that same 
Holy Spirit. What I was just saying. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. Uh, he goes on to say, and we're not going to read it for the sake of time, uh, what would happen if the, if the eye said, I'm not going to play the part that I was created to play? It says the whole body would be disadvantaged. What if the foot said, I'm no longer, uh, I'm, I'm tired of carrying all the weight, right? The hand don't carry no weight. That ain't fair, right? So I'm done. The whole body would be disadvantaged. What if, what if the hand stopped? What if the hand said, I don't like, there's an, in, 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 there's a, go, in this same chapter, he says, but the whole, each one of you are a different part. And he says, and each part was specifically placed in the body on purpose by God. So I don't even believe that you being a part of Grace Church is, is some random accident of, of coincidence. I, I really believe that if you're a part of this church family, that God has known that all along and that this is going to play a part in the masterpiece that you become. But if you're a foot, then you've got a job to do as a foot, right? If you're a tonsils, and I know we can take them out, right? <laughs> You got an appendix, and you burst, and every, like, you're going to kill everybody, right? Like, like I, but even those things play a part in that they filter out infection, right? So every, every part, I mean, even my pinky has a part to play that my other fingers can't play, right? Like, my thumb can't play that part. You see somebody picking their nose with a thumb, get away from them. They're weird, right? That's, that's inappropriate. That's what God gave you fingers for. Thumbs are to grab things. Fingers are to pick things. It's in the Bible. I don't think it is. Not, not really. So we talk about this all the time, and when we went through our values, our four core values of our church family, uh, being biblically centered, outwardly focused, radically generous, and personally involved, this, the whole sermon was just on this one. Right, so I want to keep. I want to keep moving. I don't want to uh, belabor this. Uh, other than to say that that God didn't bring you here to watch His show every weekend. And if all church is for you, is sitting in a seat watching other people serve, other people serve you, other people serve your kids, other people make your coffee, other people help you park the car, other people vacuum the building before you got here, other people put on. Put the packets together. Other people, other people, other people doing everything for you, doing everything for you, doing everything for you. Like at some point, wouldn't the healthiest version of you want to play a part in serving somebody else? Like you at your healthiest? Shouldn't you want that? Like you think, and that's all he's saying. Jesus in the Last Supper with his disciples. Uh, remember the Last Supper? That, you know, the painting that um, <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio painted a long time ago, right after he finished that movie Titanic. Um, and, but in, in that Last Supper, uh, Jesus takes the one job nobody wanted. You know what that was? Washing the grime out of people's toes. Because they wore sandals back in those days and the roads were dirt. When you would have guests over, you would hire somebody of a lower caste to sit by the front door and to hand wash everybody's feet when they came in. So when they prepared for the Last Supper, uh, nobody did this, but it was something that needed to be done because they would recline at the table and their feet would be near the table and it was not hygienically clean. So nobody was doing this. Jesus did. 
And it was the worst job there, but it was the one that Jesus took on himself. The Bible says he takes off his robe, gets on his hands and knees, and he hand washes the grime out of the feet of the guys who were about to betray him. They didn't even deserve it. But it wasn't about what they deserved. It was about what needed to be done. Jesus was probably the least person that needed to be doing this, but he was the first person who was willing to. I would actually say that your self-awareness and your personal, what's the right word I'm looking for, emotional health could possibly be measured by how others-centered you are. So then Jesus does this. When he gets done, he says this in John chapter 13, verse 14. He says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet also. No job should be too small. Like, I, like I, I love that there's a professor in our church of law. He's an attorney. I don't know if he's here uh, this weekend or not. I know that he travels because he's semi-retired. He teaches law at Suffolk Law School, right? Uh, he was on the board of directors for the, for the Bar Association of Massachusetts. That's a big deal, right? Would you guys agree? Uh, uh, and, and, and in one of our locations uh, on, on the weekend, he makes the coffee for you. That's awesome. A guy who's actually, I think, contributed to even textbooks about Massachusetts law served you coffee. That's what God, that's what God says. That's the masterpiece I'm talking about. That's somebody who recognizes that their life isn't about them. That even their accomplishments, right, are tools to be leveraged in service to the glory of God. And whatever needs to be done, they just find a way to do. There's no task too small. That's the spirit of Jesus. The second thing you should be able to say about yourself is that you leverage your skills and abilities to help your church family. You leverage your skills and abilities to help your church family. Acts chapter 9, uh, verse 39, there's a story about a, a lady, uh, uh, and, and she, had, she had died. And uh, it, it, was, it was a really big deal in this church that Peter was at, that this lady, this lady had died. And it describes a little piece of her life and the reason why she was so valuable to this church family. In Acts chapter 9, verse 39, where it says, So Peter returned... Uh, with them because they had gone and gotten Peter and they brought him back to this lady. Uh, and as soon as he arrived, they, they took him uh, to the upstairs room uh, where the lady, where the, she was dead, uh, where the dead lady was at. Uh, the room was filled with widows who were weeping and showing him the coats and other clothes uh, that Dorcas had made for them. Uh, so her name was Dorcas. And I don't think I'm allowed to pass that up without, that is a horribly named child. Can we not all agree? Who names their child Dorcas, right? Like, like even Oprah Winfrey, the, uh, one of the daughters of, or the sister-in-law of Ruth, the book in the Bible, Ruth, her sister-in-law was Oprah, so her, excuse me, Orpah. So her mom actually tried to name Oprah 
after Orpah from the Bible. So there's a lot of people who take on Bible names. It just, and then the, lady, the nurse at the hospital actually switched her name. That's actually true. That's how Oprah got her name. It's actually supposed to be Orpah, which is a lady in the Bible. So there's a lot of people who name their, like, you know Matthews, you know Johns, you know Andrews. You, you, if you're Amish, you know a couple of Zacharias, right? You know a couple of those guys. Uh, but I mean, like, we, nobody names their kid Dorcas. Thank Jesus for that one, right? Uh, but it's a way better name than her brother, Doofus. So, I mean, it could have been worse, I guess. But in those days, like, she made coats and clothes for people, and that doesn't seem like a big deal to any of us because, honestly, you can buy a T-shirt at Walgreens for five bucks. You can. Like, clothes for us are no big deal, but they lived at a time when you couldn't go just to a store and buy clothes. Like, clothing was like a really big, like, you had to plan to get, like, you just, just didn't go out and find a jacket. These, these weren't every, like, somebody had to make you something. Like, this, this is a big deal. And so this girl has, Dorcas has a skill set that she had learned. And she recognized that her learned abilities not only provided an income for her, no doubt, which is probably the reason why she learned this skill. That would make sense, Right? She's a seamstress. But she also recognized that what she got paid to do by others was a gift that God had given her to serve others. So anybody in their church that did not have a jacket or a coat and could not afford one, all anybody had to do was let Dorcas know, and she'd hook them up. Because she recognized that what she got paid to do was meant for more than making a dollar. Right? And I would suggest that what your employer or customers pay you to do in the world at large, God also has an application for the household of faith. Now, I don't know exactly what, what, that would, what that would look like. But outside of the weekly gathering... I believe you need to find a way to use your natural talents and learned abilities to serve other people in your church family. Like, for instance, if, if Dorcas had been a carpenter, what do you think could have been said about her? That she had helped fix up people's homes that were in need of repair, right? If she was a, a I can't think of any other jobs back then that like, I was going to say mechanic. I don't know if they had mechanics. A Chandler is somebody who makes candles. All right, a Chandler. So if she had been a Chandler, uh, and I only know that because Ben Franklin's dad was a Chandler. Sorry, it doesn't matter how I know that. My point is, I just don't want you to think I was like smart or something. Because that would be a horrible thing for your pastor to be smart. Don't want you to think that at all. I don't know. What, can I get back to this? My point is, is that whatever she did, like, right, like throughout the week, she also found a way to do for other people uh, that she knew in, in, her, church, in her church families. Uh, there's a lady in our church named Avis uh, who I think used to date Moses. That's how, like, she goes way back. Um, I can say this because she's everybody's grandmother in our church. And uh, not, not really, but even Avis has, like, found her Dorcas role. And, and what Avis does is every weekend, in whatever location she's at, she bakes cookies or brownies and brings them for the worship team uh, because they know that they're here longer than everybody else. Come on. If an old lady who's retired, can find a way to serve the body of Christ with brownies 
There's a Bible verse that says, if you give somebody a cup of cold water in my name, you'll not lose your reward. There is, surely there's something that you can do. Bob, that attorney, is a real estate attorney. So as Grace Church started the location in Braintree and Bridgewater, guess who did all the legal work for our church family? Bob. And I've never given you his last name because it was embarrassing. You wouldn't want me to. I think it'd be disrespectful to him because he doesn't do that to serve you. In serving you, he knows he's serving who? God. So he's an attorney who leverages his skill set for the glory of God in this church family. Kevin is an, is an aunt, serial entrepreneur. He worked for the company that developed the, the speech to text that Siri and Alexa are built on. He's a part of our church family. So he knows all about contracts and stuff. And so when we, we, we rewrote our bylaws, because our bylaws were written for a tiny church with one, with one like leader, and, and we, we got a larger leadership team, the bylaws needed to be written. And it was Kevin who volunteered, man, I don't know how many dozens of hours to help us rewrite those bylaws. It's, it's what he gets, make, makes, makes money for during the week, but he knew it's what God had given him to make a difference uh, in, in every week. Um, Carlos, uh, it doesn't matter what location you're in, Carlos built your church building. Carlos is a general contractor, and, and Carlos has spent hundreds of hours, one of the first people to ever come to our church, He's been in every location, and he's had to build every location. Not had to. Talk to him. And if you mention that I mentioned this to him, he's going to be embarrassed. He's going to kill me. So I hope he's sick this week. That's bad. I hope he's not. If he's, I just, what I'm saying is I, I'm not saying this to pat him on the back. I'm saying that our church is full of Dorcases. Be a dork for Jesus. That's the point I'm trying to make, apparently. Dom is a union electric, uh, 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 electrician with, with up, up in the city. He's in like Big Shot down there, and, and he does little things for us. Like he does the wiring for like skyscrapers, and then he does the wiring for all of our locations. John is over all of the HVAC for all the hospitals chains out of one of the hospitals in the city. I, don't, uh, I, don't, I forget which one it is, but he's done the HVAC in each one of our buildings. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, this is what I'm talking about. Jeff is a producer for the CMA Awards and the MTV New Year's Eve party in Miami Beach. And he's the one that wired the sound for all of our locations. Matt is the DJ, the drive-home DJ for 104.1, who mixes all of our locations. Right? And then there's people that show up who's like, they don't have like a specialty, like superstar skill. But they've got an hour on Thursdays and they put together the packets. I'm just saying, there's something you can do, right? To help other people grow in their faith. There's something that you can do. Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 to 35, gives a whole list of skilled laborers. For the sake of time, we're not going to read them. And he says, this guy can do this, and this guy can do this, and this guy can do this, and this guy can do this. And all of their names are forever remembered for all of eternity. And none of them were theologians. None of them were preachers or Sunday school teachers. They were just people that recognized that the skills they made money for were given to them by God to make a difference. If you have a skill that you can use or that you're willing to use, let us know. So we have carpenters in our church. We have guys like Mike 
And when somebody has a need, we don't give them Mike's contact information. We've actually, then the Sullivan family, they, they, they run a, a, their con, a construction people. When there's a need that's presented to us, we can go into the database that we have, and we can just pull up all the, and then they all get an email, right? And it's generic. And any one of those that have the time would say, I can do that on Thursday, or I'm sorry I can't do that this month, but you know, keep me on this mailing list because it's helpful right? If you're a mechanic, you know, what if Miss Avis's car broke down? She's on a fixed income. Like, if there was one lady we should fix the car for for free, it'd be Miss Avis. And if you need money, I'm telling you, because of our respect for Avis, we would pay her, her mechanic bill. We would pay you to fix her car. Like, you know what I'm saying? This is what churches do for each other, because we're all on the same team, and we all bring something different to the table, and what we've been given by God to bring to the table is for everybody at the table. Does this make sense? Last one is that you should be able to say that you meet the needs of other Christians. James chapter 2, 14 to 17 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? This is the Bible. What good is it if you say you're a Christian but you don't show it? In what way should we show it? Let me give you an example, James says. Can that kind of faith save anyone, he says. Verse 15, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. Thoughts and prayers. God bless. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing? What good is that? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough. That's, if faith isn't backed up by actions, then did you ever have faith? Remember, faith is belief plus trust. If I believe that everything I've been given was given to me by God to make a difference in the world, then I'll trust God enough to actually start doing something with it. When you see a need, you meet the need. This one's spontaneous. This is just you living in such a way that you're aware of the needs and brokenness around you. You're the kind of person who's actually taken the time to get to know other followers of Jesus in our church family, maybe through a life group, maybe through a ministry team. Maybe you've just made it your goal to be intentional in the lobbies. Maybe you're, when you're checking your kid in or picking your kid up, you're just starting casual conversations that most of the time never go anywhere until one particular day it does. And then you find out that there's a gap in this person's heart or life that you've been uniquely gifted by God or qualified to fill. And the person of faith takes it on themselves to proactively meet people's needs without being told. This is what it actually looks like to become the masterpiece that God is intending there's a few other verses I wanted to read. I'll just read one last one. Hebrews 6.10 says this. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to God by caring for who? Other believers. As you still are doing. Some of us, honestly, the missing piece to our faith is that we just haven't taken off our robe to wash anybody's feet yet. We've been riding in the wagon 
for a while, and we're happy to pull. But at some point, as you grow in your relationship with God, you have got to get out of the cart and help us pull it. Right? I can't make that call for you, but you can. Let's pray. God, there are those in this room right now that are being called by you to get involved in the ministry team. There are others right now, God, that have a real-world skill set that you've given them that they've leveraged to provide for their family, to be generous towards you and others through this church family, but could also be used more tangibly to meet a need in this church family. Um, God, help us to identify ourselves somehow. Put it on a communication card, send it in an email. Just put it out there somehow that we're, we're available if the opportunity met, met our availability. And then God, help us to always be aware of needs around us and help us to proactively leverage our lives and service to each other. God, we've all got a part to play. There are times, God, when I as a hand can help the foot and there are other times where I as a hand am broken and I need the foot or the hand to help me. We need each other. Uh, God, help us to play the part that you intended us to play. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. And we all say together, amen.